there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who have been especially handpicked and chosen by God to be a part of His special people. And then there are those who are not. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says about us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There are these people, chosen by God to be His holy nation, and then there's everyone else. This doctrine of election, as it is called, is one of the most profound and awesome teachings of the Bible, and yet it is also one of the most misunderstood and confused teachings in the Scripture. When it comes to the doctrine of election, all manner of things are taught, from the idea that election is miraculous to the idea that it's unconditional, from the idea that it's predestined to the idea that you can never forfeit your election. All of those kind of things are taught in our world today. And sometimes it becomes hard for us to be able to weed through the fact and the fiction. What does the Bible really say? And what do men say that just kind of sounds biblical? Well, Peter provides for us in the very beginning of his letter, 1 Peter, a primer on election. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to examine what this says as Peter talks about those of us who are elect. And hopefully as we leave here tonight, we'll be able to have some understanding of Christ's doctrine about being the elect and having been chosen and handpicked by our God to be a part of His special people. Now, regrettably, because of the great confusion that is in our world today, sometimes, even when we're trying to weed through it and find the truth, we can become confused. And so what I want to do tonight as we read through this passage is see if we can use an analogy, an illustration that might help us understand what we're learning tonight. How many of you have ever played a pickup game of softball or baseball or volleyball? Anybody ever done that? Probably all of us have done that at some time. And we recognized that there were two teams, and folks were chosen for one team or the other. We're going to look at that analogy to somewhat help us understand what we're talking about tonight as we look at Christ's election, because, brethren, we need to recognize essentially there are two teams in the world today, and we want to be on Christ's team. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Our election is based upon, in accord with, and according to God's foreknowledge. Let's think for a minute that pickup game of softball. How was the choosing done? What was it based on? Well, first of all, we picked out two captains, right? We got Charles and Matt and said, y'all are the team captains. And so they then looked at all of us and they decided, based upon their knowledge of how well we play softball or volleyball, who they were going to choose, didn't they? Now, I know that some captains didn't understand that the game was all about winning 
and that some captains decided that they were going to try to pick the people who couldn't play at all just to be nice to them. But typically, it was all based on the captain's knowledge of how the person could play, right? That's what the choice was based on. That is exactly what Peter says our choosing is based on. God, based on His knowledge, has chosen people to be on His team, to be in His special nation, His special people, His holy nation. Now, where our analogy breaks down is that for Matt and Charles to pick us, they would have had to have seen us play before, wouldn't they? But God's knowledge wasn't based on having already seen us living our lives. His was a foreknowledge. What he knew, he knew before we even lived. And I find that to be an amazing thing. I must admit that I find it amazing that traditionally among our brethren, Christians believe that God has chosen not to know who is actually going to become saved until they actually did it. And I don't understand that considering how clear verses like this one are. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Our election, His choosing us, was based on what He knew before we were even here. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul talking about the gospel according to the power of God, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. How could God do this before time began if He chose not to know who was ever going to receive His grace until they actually were here in time? The Bible says that He knew this beforehand. And I want you to see why it's important for us to grasp this. Look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. Paul says that whom God foreknew, He called. Not only did He call them, but He justified them. That is, declared them innocent. Not only justifying them, but will glorify them. That is, will go to heaven. That is what God has done. And He has known who that is going to be from before time began. Why is this important? Because you and I, if we love the Lord, God has known we would love the Lord from before time. And we will not be forgotten. God will not lose our names through some type of heavenly bureaucracy and red tape. He knows those who are His, and He has known it from before time began. Now, I understand that boggles our minds, but I do want to make sure you also understand this. We're talking about God's foreknowledge, not God's foreordainment. The Calvinist will tell us that God knew who was going to be saved before time began, 
because God predestined them to be saved. Because of His predestination, He had pre-knowledge. But what did the Bible say? The Bible says, whom God foreknew, He predestined. God did not make us do anything. He has not predestined us to do anything. But God knows what we're going to do. You think about that too long and that'll fry your brain. But that's what it says. God knew what we were going to do. And He has always known. He knows those who are His. He hasn't made us do it. But based on the fact that He foreknew we would love Him, He did predestine some things. He predestined that we would be called and conformed and justified and glorified. If we love God, God knows it. And He has chosen us, according to His foreknowledge, to be on His team. Everyone who loves the Lord is chosen to be on His team. And God will not forget us. Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Not only are we elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but we are elect in sanctification of the Spirit. Let's go back to our baseball game, our softball game, volleyball. There we were. What was the actual means by which we ended up on the team? There we were. We were all in a pile just standing out in the middle of the field and we had Charles and Matt. They went out the sides and what did they do? Charles said, all right, I want David. And David walked out of the group and went over to one side. Matt said, all right, I want Don. And finally, at the end of the whole list, one of them said, I want Edwin. But either way, what we did is we picked them and separated them off. Right? Isn't that what happened? They were in one big group. They were picked and pulled out of the group and set apart into the different teams. Peter says that's exactly what's happened with us. We have been picked and set apart. That's what sanctification means. Set apart for holy use. The actual means by which we have been elected and chosen to be a part of God's holy people is the Holy Spirit has pointed to us and set us apart. Now, do not be surprised by that. Regrettably, because the modern charismatic and Pentecostal movements have made so much noise, just about any time we hear that the Holy Spirit did anything, we automatically think, miracle! But that's not the case. The Holy Spirit is not confined in the box of the miraculous. The Holy Spirit can act and accomplish things without having to perform a miracle. And so when we say that the Holy Spirit has sanctified us, set us apart for holy use, we need to consider what the Bible says about how the Holy Spirit has done such a thing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Take a look at what Peter said when he explained himself further just later in the chapter. As he writes to these who are elect, he says, since you have purified your souls, that's the idea, they've been set apart. They're now purified and set apart for something holy. Since you have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God. How did it happen? Through the Word of God. In obedience to the truth. Out of love. Through the Spirit. Look in John 17. In John 17, as Jesus described the apostles and their sanctification, their being set apart, 
In John chapter 17 and verse 16, he said, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. How is the Spirit accomplishing sanctification? By the truth. Which is what? God's Word. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul said of the Thessalonians, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. How is the Holy Spirit sanctifying? By giving us the truth. When we believe in the truth, we're sanctified. One more passage. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. This is an awesome passage. And it talks about sanctification in a sense, taking it beyond just that initial being set apart from the world when we became Christians. And talks about the fact that as Christians we grow in Christ and become more and more set apart, more sanctified, more like the Master and less like the world. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. What's it mean to be sanctified? To be prepared for every good work. To be useful to the Master. Set apart for holy, honorable use. But how did these folks accomplish this? We read in the greater context of the book, we'll keep reading, and we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we come to verse 16. Paul said there, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do we become thoroughly equipped for every good work? Just as he said, a vessel of honor sanctified is, prepared for every good work, useful to the Master, set apart for holy use, becoming more and more holy. By being trained in the Word. That's what happens. So our sanctification, our being set apart, the actual means by which God has accomplished our being set apart is that the Holy Spirit, using His Word, has set us apart. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter said, knowing this first, Second Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Brethren, when this book changes our lives and makes us into a different person, makes us different from those who are in the world, the Holy Spirit is setting us apart. It's not a miracle. The miracle was that the Holy Spirit revealed this through His Apostles and prophets. And now we read it. And we are set apart, sanctified, picked out, and moved over to be separate from the world. But Peter goes on. And he explains that we are not just set apart just for kicks. It's not just for a good time, not just to sit back in glory that we're on the winning side. 
He says that we are set apart for a purpose. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our baseball team. Volleyball. There we are. We are picked for the winning team. Now that we're picked, we're on that team. All we got to do is just stand around, right? No, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to play. We're supposed to do our best. We're supposed to be out there and work with the team so that our team can win the game, right? And then once it's over, we get the privilege of having been on the victorious team, right? Even if we weren't the ones that pounded and spiked the winning point. Even if we weren't the ones that hit the winning home run. We get to claim to be a part of the winning team just as much as anyone else, even if there were quite a few players on the team that were a lot better than us. That's the privilege that we get from being on the winning team. And that's what Peter says about us having been handpicked by God, chosen to be a part of His holy nation, His special people. We don't get to just stand around and bask in the glory of being Christians. Oh, isn't it wonderful? We're Christians. We're going to heaven. I don't have to do much. I'm just, I got baptized and it's all over now. Peter says that we were elect for, unto, obedience. We have been chosen in order to obey. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, Paul says to the Ephesians, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Excuse me, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in there. What has God done? He has bestowed all kinds of mercy and grace on us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we couldn't earn our way out of that. But we don't get to just sit back and say, oh, it's grace, I don't have to do anything. He says you were saved and raised up in order to walk in good works. In order to obey. Look in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15, Paul wrote there in Romans 6 and verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. God bestowed His mercy and His grace. And we're not under law, but under grace. That doesn't mean, however, that we get to just live however we want. We have been separated from sin and now we are to no longer live in it. We are to be obedient. And in fact, as the text goes on to point out, if we go back and submit ourselves to sin again, we have lost the glories of election and the privileges that come along with it. We are raised to 
obey. In fact, Peter himself said there in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now that we are on God's winning team, this is our responsibility. Obey. Be holy. But there's also a privilege. Not only were we elect for or unto obedience, but we are also elect for or unto the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we were chosen and handpicked, it pushed us toward the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That word for, just, just a quick lesson in the language. It's the same word that's used in Acts 2.38, baptized for the remission of sins, unto. We are elect unto the obedience and also the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is our privilege. We were chosen based on God's foreknowledge. The Spirit through the Word sets us apart. And that obligates us to obey, but it gives us the great privilege of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what saves us. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, He said, for this, as He talked about the cup, is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When we are a part of God's chosen people, we participate in the blood of Jesus' sacrifice. And His blood washes our sins away. And nobody else's. Despite all our newfound obedience, we could not possibly earn our salvation. Jesus had to die and His blood must be sprinkled. Luke chapter 17 and verse 10. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 10, the Bible says, Likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. You see, not only when we're chosen to be on the team? Are we not allowed to just stand around and say, well, it's all by grace, everything's over? God has also not chosen us on the team to live in fear that we've slipped up today and that's it, it's over. God has not chosen us to live in fear that, well, I'm not as strong as someone else or I'm not as good at this as someone else. When we're all on the winning team, we all get the victory. And so we must grow so that we can be on that winning team. You remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? <clears throat> Beginning in verse 14, one man received five talents, one received two, and one received one. You remember the parable, and you know that the point of the parable was not, well, the five-talent man had more, so he got to go to heaven, and the other two were cast into hell. The point was is that every person was supposed to use what they had been given to the best of their ability to glorify the Master and serve Him and make a return to Him. And they didn't have to live in fear 
that they weren't as strong at something as everyone else or as good at something as everybody else on the team. They just did their part, did their best. They weren't allowed to sit back and do nothing. But they didn't have to live in fear regarding how they compared. And that's the balance that we strive for and that we recognize. We're saved by grace. I don't have to fear about whether or not I'm going to make it because I'm doing enough good works. I couldn't do enough good works. But at the same time, I can't sit back and say, oh, but it's grace, I don't have to do anything. I've got to grow and I've got to keep doing my best. And that's what we were elect unto. That's what our election is for. To obey and to bring us to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus so that we can have His grace. And that's awesome. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But now, we have to come to a place, as happens with all analogies. One of the amazing things about analogies is that because analogies are not the same thing, they always break down somewhere. And here's where ours breaks down. You remember when we were on that volleyball team or on that softball team, after the, ch- the sides were chosen up, uh, softball or baseball, we went to separate dugouts. and volleyball, we went to opposite sides of the net. But that's not the way it works for us as we talk about the two kinds of people that are there today. The two teams that are in the world are interspersed all throughout the world together. We mix and we mingle. And Peter said, as he wrote to these folks in Asia Minor, and while he was writing to a specific place, these words apply to us even here in Middle Tennessee. The elect are pilgrims of the dispersion. First of all, what's pilgrim? We know what a pilgrim is. A pilgrim is a traveler. Some translations say sojourners. This is somebody who is not staying here. They are moving on. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That's what a pilgrim is. And Peter points out that we are pilgrims. As Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16, about His apostles. In John 17, verses 15 and 16, He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They, there they were in the world, but not of the world. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not down here. We're pilgrims. We're not staying here. This is not our home. We're traveling on. We need to keep that in our minds. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Because we are pilgrims and sojourners, we abstain from the fleshly lusts, the things that tie us to this world. And as Colossians 3, 2 says, we don't keep our eyes focused down here, but on heavenly things, so that we won't be distracted. But we're pilgrims of the dispersion. What does that mean? Peter is relying on the fact that his audience understands a little bit about Jewish history. You see, among the physical nation of Israel, there were two kinds of Jews. There was the one kind that was at home. They were in the promised land. They were in God's promised land. And they were at home, (coughs) excuse me, they were at home among like people. But then there was a second group. They weren't at home. They were dispersed among the Gentile nations. They were a part of the dispersion. 
They were out there amid all the Gentiles, but they weren't supposed to be Gentiles. They were different. They had a different background. They had different laws. They had different beliefs. They had a different God. And so they stood out as different. But there was a problem. Those Jews who were a part of the dispersion weren't always the influencing factors. They were supposed to be far too often. They were influenced by the Gentiles around them. And they became more and more Hellenistic or like the Gentiles and less and less like Jews. And so here Peter is pointing out, here's the fact, here's where we are. We are dispersed, but here's a warning. We're supposed to be different. We are supposed to be the ones that influence. We are not to be influenced. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul said there, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Don't be the same. Be different. That's our job. We have different beliefs. We have different standards. We have different goals. And so we ought to look different. We ought to stand out. And if we don't, there's a problem. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, in regard to these they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Because we don't live the same way, they're going to think we're strange. They're going to think we're odd. They're going to think we're weird. And they're going to make fun of us. And they're going to ridicule us. But Peter says that's the way it ought to be. Because we're supposed to be different. We shouldn't be the same. Having the same goals and desires. The same entertainment the same standards and the same God. We're different. And we should stand out. We are pilgrims, not tied to this world of the dispersion, in the world, but different from the world. That's what we're supposed to be. That is our election. And so now that we get down to the end of this, we recognize there is a question. And the question is, what team are you on? Are you on the winning team? Have you been chosen and handpicked by Christ? Sanctified by the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ? Or are you still on the other team? While God has known who would be saved and who is not, the actual choosing of the teams is still going on. You need to make your choice tonight. We're about to sing this invitation song. Go ahead and pull out your songbook, please. Two eighty-eight or two eighty-seven? Two eighty-seven is a fountain free. You need to make your choice tonight. Well, folks, when we start talking about these issues, start getting into, well, yeah, but if God already knew, that means I can't help it. No, that's not what it says. Let's just let God deal with His end of the stick and let's just deal with ours. And that is, is that here's an opportunity tonight 
for you to be sanctified by the Spirit, based on what you've learned in the Word, set apart for holy use, and to become useful to the Master. And if you do that, you'll be elect unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you had that yet? If not, how about becoming a part of God's family tonight? Can we help you with that? If we can, won't you come forward as we stand and sing this song?